Coming up on the Hockey News pregame show, DJ Smith is finally out in Ottawa. Is it too late? And Canada gets a big boost to the World Junior Team. Should another NHL team follow suit? And joining us from Colorado is team site editor Colleen Flynn on Nathan McKinnon's chances to win the Hart Trophy. I'm Ryan Kennedy. And I'm Michael Trikos, and this is the Hockey News pregame show, brought to you by BetMGM and NorthlandHockey.com. Welcome to the Hockey News pregame show, Ryan. We got a lot to get into today. Let's dive right into this. The Ottawa Senators, two weeks, less than two weeks after hiring Jacques Martin as a special advisor to the coaching staff, have now made Jacques Martin the new head coach. DJ Smith is out. Shocked? Surprised? What are, what are we feeling right now? At this point, it just, and I saw it described this way online, it was almost like a mercy firing, <laughs> right? Like, <clears throat> it's been so long since we've been talking about DJ Smith on the hot seat. And certainly, if you're online, Ottawa Senators fans have been vehement <laughs> about firing DJ Smith, so it finally happened. I've always sort of wondered, you know, was DJ Smith getting a bad rap? You know, I, I think he's a pretty good coach. I've seen him have success at other levels. Right. But the numbers really bear this out. and. We've talked about it before. The players obviously liked playing for DJ Smith. It wasn't a matter of them giving up on a coach. Right. But you look at the penalty kill, it's horrible. You look at the power play, it was below standard. You look at possession numbers, below standard. Obviously wins, much below standard. I was going to say, let's just keep it simple. Like, yeah. This team <laughs> yeah. is bottom, like they're, they're a bad team. They're worst, the worst team in the East right now? Yeah. Uh, one of the worst teams in the NHL? Yeah. Goaltending has been horrific. Like, if you look at the advanced stats, they have two of the worst goaltenders in the NHL that have played this season. So, And we're not talking about a bad give. team either. We're talking about a team that should have been contending there's, for a playoff spot. This there's year. certainly talent there. And, you know, I... If you wanted to really be an optimist, you could say, okay, well, they're still growing. But I don't think that washes at this point because no. you have this great nucleus with Tim Stutzla and Brady Kachuk, you know, Thomas Shabbat on the back end. Then you started bringing in veterans, whether it's Claude Giroux, Jacob Chikrin, Vladimir Tarasenko. Like, there's no reason that this team shouldn't be at a level of uh, Detroit, for example. You 100%. know, a, a team in their division where, again, we've said this before, coming into the year, I thought two out of three teams were going to make a jump. It was going to be Detroit, Buffalo, and Ottawa. And to be honest, I thought it was going to be Buffalo and Ottawa. And ironically, Detroit has been the, the best of the three so far. They found that sort of magic formula of marrying the veterans with the young stars bringing in a bit more help, obviously, in Detroit's case, to bring it, and now Patrick Kane. Um, but with Ottawa, I mean, they already got rid of the GM. Now they got rid of the coach. It feels like a total reset at this point. And, and that's what they needed. Well, you mentioned, okay, so they get rid of the coach, they get rid of the GM, 
and now I'm looking at their captain, Brady Kachuk, who this is his sixth year, I believe, in Ottawa, um, drafted in 2018. First year was 2018-19. He hasn't gotten close to the playoffs. Mm. Um, and you don't have to go that far, uh, go down the road, basically, or further down the road to Buffalo and see what happened with that Sabres team where we're just kind of, when is it going to happen? When is the Sabre team going to be in the playoffs? And eventually, you know, you end up losing a Sam Reinhardt. You lose a Jack Eichel. Mm-hmm. You, you lose that sort of core nucleus. And that is the fear. That is the danger that Ottawa has right now. You've got Stutzla. You've got Kachuk. you got a Jake Sanderson. Mm-hmm. you got a Thomas Shabbat. How long are these guys going to be hanging around uh, for all this losing? And we know that they're signed to long-term contracts, but right. a contract is a contract, whatever. Right. <laughs> um, they want out, and we've seen it. Um, th- those trades can happen. So I don't know what's going to happen next to the Ottawa Senators. I don't believe Jacques Martin is going to be their long-term answer as a head coach. He's yeah. just far too old. Yeah. So who would you bring in? Because this move should probably should have been made two weeks ago mm-hmm. um, since Hiring Jacques Martin as a special advisor, I think the team went one in five. So, you know, the writing was on the wall. They needed a new face back there. Who, who would you bring in? Because DJ Smith was, a, by all accounts, a good guy. You're hearing mm-hmm. same st- things talked about DJ Smith as we heard about Dean Evason. Right. Um, same things about Bruce Boudreau, who you're talking about. Should, should the Vancouver Canucks had fired him a lot earlier than they did? Um, this wasn't a... They didn't have a, a good coach back there, but what kind of coach do you bring? Because the next guy has to get this team into the playoffs. And yeah. it probably is not going to happen this year, let's face it. No, it feels like it's too late for this year, which is unfortunate for that, for that young core that we were talking about. To me, it kind of feels like Dean Evason would be the obvious one uh, because, and, and you know, yeah, you're recycling coaches, but it, it does feel like this season we've seen some very good coaches fired because you can't fire the whole team, that right. sort of thing, right? It's, it's just easier. Um, you know, I mean, the Ottawa Senators, we know they can score. That's not a problem. They're top 10 in offense in the NHL. Keeping the puck out of their net, much bigger problem. So I'd like to see somebody with a little more structure. And, you know, if Martin hangs on, if he goes back to that advisor role, then, I mean, hopefully he can help so far. Not so much. Because that's why he was brought in. Eh? He's the defensive specialist. Exactly, right? Yeah, he's the, the defensive guru. Um, but, I mean, the game's changing a lot too, right? So I would, look, I would look at a Dean Evason. I think, you know, that's a guy that certainly deserves a second chance. And, you know, I mean, Minnesota wasn't a defensive juggernaut this year. But they're certainly better than Senators, so it would be a step in the right direction at least. Yeah, you're, you're kind of right in that regard. That, you know, maybe a coach that's just a little bit more locked in defensively. Like you look at what Rick Bonus has done in Winnipeg. Right. Um, even losing Kyle Connor. We talked about this last episode. We're like, yeah, we're not so worried about this team because five on five, they're, they're allowing the fewest amount of goals in the NHL at the time. Um, that's what structure can bring you. It can mm-hmm. overcome a lot of your warts. Um, yeah. And this team, this Ottawa Senators team, like we said, they've got the firepower. Um, they've got the star power. They even have the veteran. Like, you bring in Tarasenko, you bring in Claude Giroux last year. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know what this team's missing on paper. Yeah. and it's, it's funny that way. It is. And you look at, like, down the middle, they've, you know, they've tried to go a couple of different things, you know, Putting Stutzla in the middle, that was, that was interesting to me because obviously he mostly played wing uh, as a prospect. 
But you got him, and then, I mean, they've had some obviously bad luck too. Like, to me, Shane Pinto, currently suspended, right. um, he could have made a big difference, even if it was in like a third line role, right? Because he's a talented two way athletic center. Um, you know, they've got some good names in Josh Norris as well. You got to get them all on the ice at the same time, and you got to get them more reps. And unfortunately, it feels like the Senators just kind of ran out of time to do all those experiments. Like, it didn't all coalesce when they needed to, and all of a sudden, now they're out of the race. It's another lost season. Sens fans are beleaguered once <laughs> again. Uh, and it's just, it's just an unfortunate spot. Now, we know Vladimir Tarasenko is probably going to get a lot of uh, teams uh, sending offers at the trade deadline. He's a UFA after this year. Um, the core of this team, Stutzla, Kachuk, you know, Josh Norris, if you want to put him in that category, mm-hmm. um, they're not going anywhere unless you say they got to go somewhere. Right. Would you make that sort of move? Would you say, you know what, maybe we love Tim Stutzla, but what can he get us back? And do we need sort of that culture changing or maybe not even a culture changing. Maybe it's just, we just need a change for the sake of change. And maybe we get back a piece that we just, you know, that takes us over the edge or just gives us a different sort of look or feel. I would say my only move right now would be at the, sorry, not now, but at the trade deadline, I would Mm -hmm. definitely entertain offers for Tarasenko because as you mentioned, you know, he is an unrestricted free agent this summer and he is 32 so he's not really in the right window for a group that's you know you look at the core it's like Stutzla 21, Kachuk 24, Norris 24, you know obviously Sanderson uh, only 21. So Tarasenko would be the kind of guy where you get some chips for him right you get you know a couple of picks it's kind of funny the, the Senators don't really need more youth but maybe you package some picks, maybe even a prospect to get that guy for next year that might be that missing piece of the puzzle. Funny enough, it might be somebody who's Tarasenko-esque, mm-hmm. but maybe a couple of years younger. The last thing I point out too, Ridley Gregg being injured, I think that really hurt them as well because that's a spark plug kind of kid that might have helped them in the first half and obviously limited due to injury. Stutzla for Marner in the summer. Let's see it happen. Whoa. I don't know about that. Team Canada got some great news. Uh, Matthew Patra, the rookie for the Boston Bruins, will be loaned out for the World Juniors. And, Mike, this is very intriguing to me because when I looked at Canada's roster before this, very solid. Mm-hmm. Maybe not the, uh, the most marquee that they've had in recent years outside of Max Celebrini, but... I like this move for Patra's development. Obviously, he kind of surprised in earning a roster spot this fall with Boston, but now he gets to go back and play against his own peer group, maybe rev up the offense a bit. Yeah, it's surprising news. I don't know if we even had him on our radar Mm. because of how well he'd been doing with the Bruins. It's not like he's been playing a fourth-line role Mm -hmm. for a lot of this season. Um, Top six forward. Uh, centering lines with Pasternak and Marchand at times, uh, producing well too. Uh, five goals, 13 points in 27 games. This is not a slouch by any means uh, imagination. So um, good on Boston, though, for recognizing 
that you know the season is long mm -hmm. and there are going to be dips and I think the Bruins are already seeing that uh, Patra was uh, held out of one of the games uh, his minutes have been kind of scaled back a little bit so rather than wait for him to kind of hit that wall they're saying mm -hmm. go down dominate yeah which he should yep um, come back and join us for you know the playoff run basically yeah I think uh, I, I always go back to the World Under-17 Challenge, which is an international event um, that features a lot of players from Major Junior. So you get these 16-year-old rookies who, you know, they go to their OHL team for the first time, and, you know, offense isn't always easy that first month or two. You're getting used to a new city and, you know, a new level. Then they go to the World Under-17 Challenge. They're back playing against their age group, and a lot of these players tell me that they get such a big confidence boost mm. from that tournament, then they come back to their OHL team, or their WHL team, their Q team, and things they really get traction. So I, I wonder if this is a similar situation where with Patra, you know, wasn't playing bad. You don't mm. necessarily want to send him back to junior because he earned a spot. This is a nice little loan for him, and you're even wondering if somebody else should have followed suit in the NHL. Adam Fantilli, his minutes, again, we're talking about a guy who, you know, I thought was going to be competing for a Calder this year. It's not, that's still possible. Sure. But his minutes have been scaled back. Columbus is taking a lot on the chin right now. Um, I wonder if this move is still coming. What, one other thing to keep in mind with Patra, there's no guarantee he goes down to the World Juniors and just dominates. That's true. And we've seen that happen as well, yep. where you're going NHL player or AHL players getting loaned, goes mm. to the World Juniors, oh, he's just going to tear it up. Uh -huh. For whatever reason, it is different sometimes. And I, Jake Vertanen is one of the examples that where the guy didn't dominate right. uh, at a World Juniors, and you're going, what's going on? Like, mm. this should be easier. Sometimes it's not easier. Well, you're not playing with the same caliber. You're, you're not playing with NHL line mates anymore, right? And you got to make that adjustment. It's a very interesting point. For me, Fantilli, I think Columbus needs to play him more. Uh, you know, Patrick Laine's hurt again. Right. Um, you know, Columbus isn't going anywhere. I, I feel like the youth movement, sh and we've talked about this on the show before, they should be playing the kids more. Their veterans aren't getting the job done, and right. they got injuries. So I'd like to see Fantilli play more with the Blue Jackets, I think it would behoove them to do so. Where, where do you think Patra uh, lines up with Team Canada? Because obviously he wasn't there for uh, the camp, so mm -hmm. he didn't get the chance to play with like uh, Celebrini or whoever. Yeah. Um, do you see him obviously as a top six guy? And if yeah. so, who do you think, who would you like to see him with? Uh, you know, I'd like to see him just take on kind of a pure skill role and maybe you do uh, kind of Matt Savoy on one of his wings, and I don't know if you go Carson Rakoff, because uh, Max Celebrini, he had some pretty good chemistry with a couple of players. You know, I, I saw him with Rakoff that last day, and he played well with Jordan Dumais as well. So I think you probably go Patra and Celebrini as your top two centers, mm. and then you have guys like Fraser Minton, Nate Danielson, who could be your bottom six centers because they have great two-way games. So that would be a possibility. Interesting. Yeah. All right, moving on. Marc-Andre Fleury did <laughs> not play against the Pittsburgh Penguins <laughs> the other night while with the Minnesota Wild. A lot of fans were upset about this, uh, thinking it could be his last time in Pittsburgh. I don't think it's necessarily his last time playing in Pittsburgh. I don't see why he couldn't play against next year. fans know something that we don't? Or yeah, something? really. Uh, but Philip Gustafson got the start. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't go well anyways. Uh, but your thoughts on sentimental starters? I'm not a big fan of these sentimental starts. Uh, obviously, John Tortorella got in hot water years ago with mm. Roberto Luongo not having him at the outdoor game. Um, John Hines is the new coach in Minnesota. That's his team. He's trying to put a stamp on them. He's trying to get them into the playoffs, yep. first and foremost. He's not trying to you know, do right by Marc-Andre Fleury. Right. Um, who's had an illustrious career, chasing down a couple of milestones right now. But, you know, interesting uh, stat, like under Hines, Philip Gustafson was 6-1-0 with a 1.26 goals against average. So, you know, Hines was going with the hot hand, going Mm -hmm. with a guy he thought, you know, we need these points. It's the first of a back-to-back. Flurry's going to get one of those games. I get it. It's Pittsburgh. It's his former team. Mm. He's got a lot of former teams, Ryan, okay? <laughs> right. You know, I mean, when you go play Vegas, is it Marc-Andre Fleury night? Yeah. When you go play Chicago, <laughs> are you going to play Marc-Andre Fleury? Obviously, he's got probably a special connection to the Pittsburgh Penguins. Yeah. But if I'm John Hines, yeah, I'm trying to just get two points. Yeah. I'm with you on that one. With Tortorella and Luongo, it was an outdoor game. It's like, come on. You know, <laughs> it's like outdoor games are kind of their own thing. I know it's still two points in the standings. Uh, and we've seen this, obviously, a couple of times as well with players, uh, you know, either coming up to a milestone uh, or, you know, it's, you know they're going to have a lot of family there. Uh, you know, Jason Spezza and Mike Babcock, obviously an example. Uh, in Toronto years ago where it just kind of feels like petty. But in this case, I'm with you. I feel like, you know, there's no guarantee this was going to be Fleury's last game in Pittsburgh. Uh, I want to see Fleury back in the league next year. You see what Jonathan Quick is doing with the New York Rangers. Yeah. I thought his career was done years ago. Totally. Why can't Fleury come back next year, be a solid backup for, and we've talked about this, whether mm-hmm. it's, you know, you thought maybe bring him back to Montreal, that's like a special connection for Fleury. Or Ottawa. Uh, Ottawa. I think Boston, if they're going to lose Linus Allmark, possibly, um, because you got to re-sign Jeremy Swayman, maybe mm-hmm. there's an option. There's going to be a lot of teams that want Marc-Andre Fleury, not just for what he can still bring on the ice, and he's had a rough uh, go this year, but yeah. more importantly, he's just a great dressing room guy. For sure. Yeah, agreed. Uh, tonight, speaking of the Rangers, uh, who we mentioned earlier, big game, Rangers in Toronto. Could this be an Eastern Conference final preview? Because both these teams are playing very well right now. Very well. And oh, what an Eastern Conference final that would be. Yes. Um, All offense. It, w- it would be, <laughs> and it would be a marquee matchup. You're mm-hmm. talking, there's cross, like, there's probably no bigger team in the States than the Rangers mm-hmm. um, from just a Population spotlight. spotlight. Yeah, yeah, big market. Toronto, yeah. obviously center of the hockey universe. Um, you know, the Rangers are cooking. They've been cooking all year. The Leafs are finally going. Mitch Marner is scoring right now. Uh, Matthew Nyes has really come on. Even Max Domi is finding a spot uh, down the middle. Both teams are really going well. So, yeah, I'd love to see, you know, we're kind of talking in the future, and the mm. Toronto's got to win two rounds, I think, to get to the Rangers. Yep. Um, so let's wait a bit here. Right. But, yeah, it, it seems like this could very, very well be an Eastern Conference uh, final matchup. And, you know, the way Toronto's going, uh, nipping on Boston's heels right now with a couple points. Yeah, and the Leafs took a big chunk out of the Rangers last week, beating them 7-3, uh, the Martin Jones show, as it, would, as it would be. So I wonder if there's a little revenge on the minds of New York as well, because this is a team, as you mentioned, they've been cooking all season long. They're not used to losing, especially by that amount. No. So it'll be very interesting to see what happens tonight. 
Well, we are pleased to be joined by Colleen Flynn, our Colorado Avalanche team site editor. How are you doing there, Colleen? Fantastic. How about you guys? Doing all right. And the Colorado Avalanche are doing incredible right now, uh, mostly because of Nathan McKinnon. 15-game uh, point streak, gets NHL first uh, star honors, much deserved. We were talking before the break, is Nathan McKinnon sort of, you know, is he climbing up that, those rankings, and when we're talking about Hart Trophy uh, contenders, what are you seeing out of, you know, a guy that probably should have won a, a Hart Trophy many years ago when he got, I think, robbed by Taylor Hall? Oh. Uh, 100%. He is a workhorse, and, uh, you know, Miko Rantanen just came out of a bit of a slump. He didn't score for... It was like eight games, and Nate carried the team, got him through a couple of wins, and Cal uh, McCarr's been, unfortunately, uh, in and out of the lineup the last couple of games, so he's taken the brunt of, of all of the, the team for a lot of the season so far. And Colleen, obviously you've seen McKinnon play for years now, including during that Stanley Cup run. Is there something that he's doing different to elevate his game? Or is this just a matter of, you know, a player still in his prime, as you mentioned, sort of taking the reins for a team that, that's needed him to be there? You know, it's funny because he actually mentioned the other night that, you know, there's a lot of things that he does off the ice that nobody sees, um, which he didn't want to discuss. But he is very intense about his um, regiments and his on-ice workouts and his off-ice uh, diet, gym, everything. So it, I don't know if it's anything necessarily different that he's he's doing. Probably more so in his prime, but it's whatever he's doing. It's definitely working. Yeah, this is a team that's still missing Gabriel Landeskog, and you know you're not just missing a top six forward. You're missing your captain. And I know mm-hmm. Jared Bednar said that he wasn't gonna you know replace the captaincy while Landeskog is out, but. It sure sounds like McKinnon has sort of taken the, the leadership reins as well as just being that offensive dynamo. Um, what is the feeling around the room? Is, I know it's still Landis Gog is the captain, but does this very much feel like it's Nate's team? It is, um, but he is definitely a, a lead-by-example kind of guy. He's always said that. Um, Miko is certainly more of the vocal guy in the room, him and Cogs, uh, Andrew Calviano, and uh, Kale McCarr's kind of the quiet type like McKinnon is. Again, just more the lead by example. So when, you know, in the room, it's, it's those guys that are, that are more chatty, but Nate's the, Nate's the guy that gets everybody fired up. And, uh, you know, speaking of the, the room, a, a couple of new additions this year that were pretty intriguing. Uh, Ryan Johansson, of course, Ross Colton, but I'm curious about Jonathan Drouin. This is you know, a longtime friend of McKinnon's. They played for the Halifax Mooseheads of the Q together in junior, had a ton of success there. Um, what's Drouin been like? He's, he's had some, certainly uh, some offensive moments, but uh, what's that, that dynamic been like having Drouin in Colorado? Those two are always on the ice together. They're always working on drills together um, since day one, since Jonathan got here. So it's it's definitely changed the dynamic for Nate's game, I think. Um, 
again, with the two of them being such good friends, and uh, he even said the other night, Duran has elevated his game after about game 10 or 11. He said uh, something changed, something sparked, and Duran has definitely been improving his game since. And he even said that, you know, he's felt more comfortable on the ice and he's really kind of getting in the groove of his game. So when, you know, now that he's heating up and uh, he, he looked great on the line with Colton and and Wood the other night. So that could be a, a new thing. We'll see how that goes. Yeah, it's going to be a tough little row here for uh, Colorado as well as they've been playing. Like that's central division, Ryan and Colleen. Like Dallas and Colorado are tied with 40 points right now. Um, Winnipeg one point back with 39 points. Nashville still hanging around. Arizona's hanging around. St. Louis makes the coaching change. I don't think they're going anywhere. This is going to be a bit of a dogfight for the rest of the year. Well, what's your feeling, Colleen? Colleen is, are the Colorado Avalanche still the favorites in that division? And do they, are they concerned with winning the division? Or based on what happened last year against Seattle in the first round, are they just kind of like, hey, let's just make sure we're ready for that first round because you know, that left a taste in their mouth that they want to just completely want to get rid of. Yeah, again, with last season being plagued with injuries and unfortunately, um, you know, whatever's McCarr's dealing with right now, Bednar said that it's uh, it's been lingering, but they're trying to, you know, cut it off at the pass, basically trying to let him not play a few games. Um, they're looking more on the let's just let's just get there. <laughs> um, <laughs> not so much let's win the division or, or those kinds of things. It's, it's more of the, again, it's been a bit of a roller coaster for them so far this season. So trying to just get that consistency, find their game and, and keep elevating. And uh, final question, Colleen, goaltending, uh, you know, the, the raw stats haven't been fantastic, but obviously the abs are winning. And, you know, I mean, when they did win the cup with, Darcy Kemper, uh, that was sort of a more bend-don't-break situation, and, and Francois had to come in uh, during that run, of course. Do you feel that Colorado has enough goaltending to make another run? Like, they're not the team that necessarily relies on a Vesna-caliber guy, are they? Um, Alexander Georgiev is definitely still the starter, even though <clears throat> Coach had pulled him after he let in five goals on uh, last week in the Calgary game. Um, he just kind of needed some time to sit out. I spoke with him actually on Friday last week, um, and he's ready to go. He just kind of changing his mindset a little bit. But Prosvetsov so far has gained the confidence of uh, the coaching staff to be put in and, and start back-to-back games. Um, so it, it's it's still a little bit in question. But I mean, Georgiev played a solid solid year last year being the majority of uh, being the start of the majority of time. So I don't see that being too much of a problem for the, for them this season. Awesome. No, we'll see how it goes. Uh, maybe Colorado's going to be market for a goalie as the season goes on. Who knows? Um, Colleen, we thank you again for uh, joining us. Uh, after the break, we've got a new segment, power rankings. We're going to see where the Colorado avalanche end up. I'm guessing it's going to be pretty high. Probably. Welcome back to the Hockey News pregame show. We got a brand new segment for you. We're going to do some power rankings. Oh. And uh, <laughs> we're going to do the good teams, and then we're going to do the bad teams. Uh, Mike, I will give you 
first crack. Give me your number one team in the NHL right now. Well, I'm going, I'm going to keep it simple. Uh, top of the standings, Stanley, Stanley Cup champs, Vegas Golden Knights. Mm. Um, this, I, I, don't, I don't see anyone taking down Vegas this year, Ryan. Uh, they are just so solid. You start in the goaltending, uh, Aiden Hill uh, putting up Vezina type numbers. You look at the offense. No one really standing out in terms of, hey, Jack Eichel or Mark Stone's going to win an Art Ross trophy or even a Hart trophy this year. But they're all just, everyone's producing. Mm -hmm. Um, That is just a solid team. And when you look at how many returning players they had from last year's uh, Stanley Cup winning team, it's it's almost like a no-brainer right now at this point. Yeah, fair enough. I'll go at East for for my first pick, the New York Rangers, uh, a team that, uh, very similar to Vegas in the sense that they kind of have everything you want, and as we mentioned earlier in the show, you know, Jonathan Quick having an incredible comeback season, uh, giving them even more goaltending. They already had Igor Shosturkin, but you look at Artemi Panarin and the production he's had. Mm-hmm. You look at basically contributions from everywhere, a very solid defense core, and you know, something we've uh, mentioned before, you know, Adam Fox missed a yeah. bunch of games, and they were still at the top. New York is a team that I think they've been disappointing in the playoffs in recent years. This is very much a season where they could make a lot of noise and kind of quell uh, any worries there were about them being kind of a regular season paper tiger. So I'll go with the Rangers on mine. And one last thing about the Rangers. As good as they've been, I still think there's another level because we haven't seen mm. the best of Shesterkin this year. True. And those young guys, Lafreniere and Kako, they're ha- like Lafreniere is having his breakout year. Yeah. Again, way more to give, I think. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. Um, okay, so number three on my list, uh, I love the Colorado Avalanche. Mm. Again, two years ago, this was a Stanley Cup winning team. I think last year it was the fatigue kind of set in. They sure. go out in the first round to Seattle, but. Um, even without Gabe Landeskog, this team is, you know, they're starting to really kind of heat up right now. And Nathan McKinnon, who I guess we're going to be talking about um, um, throughout the whole <laughs> finals of months of the season. Indeed. Um, this guy, I, he's my favorite right now to win the Hart Trophy. Uh, 47 points, 31 games. Kale McCarr, 37 points, 27 games. Mikko Rantanen, 39 points, 31 games. Like, they're getting the production from their best players, and that's yeah. always a good sign. If I have a concern about them, it's in net, where I'm still not sold on can Georgiev win a cup with them. Right, right. I will say, though, when the Abs did win their cup, it was with Darcy Kemper, who was good, Yeah. but they also had to have Pavel Franzos in there when Kemper got hurt. So it does kind of feel like a team that they can just make it happen, and that kind of leads into... Uh, my final team for the good part of the power rankings, I'll go with the Boston Bruins. And this is a team that, again, we've said this before, they have really surprised us the past two years with how they've been able to produce, you know, first it was, well, we didn't know if if Patrice Bergeron was going to come back. He ended up coming back, and they had a President's Trophy winning season, uh, a record-breaking season, and then this year, we said, okay, well, now Bergeron's officially retired. David Krejci's officially retired. They got no centers. They might struggle. That didn't happen either. They have been one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference all year long. You know, we talked about Matthew Patra early in the show, uh, coming up down the middle and helping out there. But David Pasternak, once again, 
just a titan when it comes to offense. Brad Marchand, the new captain, uh, helping out. And then, again, the luxury they have of two excellent netminders. Last year is Linus Allmark. This year, Jeremy Swayman definitely... You know, you talk about the Vesna. He's got to be up there with Hill and Thatcher Demko in Vancouver. So they have that sort of two-headed monster in net where no matter who's there, they know they're going to be in good shape. James Van Riemsdyk, is he the, <laughs> I don't know how to phrase it, but $1 million. Yeah. He's, and he's, what, fourth best in scoring bar- on their team? Best he bargain, is. best signing of the summer? Maybe, yeah. And again, that's a guy that you know can fit into the culture. And I think that's the big thing about why I like the Bruins is like nothing really rattles them because their dressing room is so solid. And Marchand right. is just continuing on what he learned from Chara and Bergeron, the captains previous to him. All right, so let's go to the less fun part. <laughs> the worst teams in the NHL, the reverse power rankings. So, Mike, once again, I'll give you a first crack. Who's the worst team in the NHL? Well, I don't know if this team... Okay, I'm going to kind of go a little different. I don't know if this is the worst team in the NHL because they've got the most electrifying rookie in the NHL. Right, right. Um, That being said, it it really is the Connor Bedard show and nothing really else. Or maybe Connor Bedard slash Kevin Korchinski show and nothing really else. But yeah, the Chicago Blackhawks, I'm sorry. Um, They're last place right now. They've lost four straight. You take away Bedard from this team, and there's nothing really to watch on a nightly basis. Mm-hmm. Uh, that being said, you've got Connor Bedard. So yeah. uh, don't feel so bad, Chicago, because the future looks incredibly bright. Yeah, and we knew coming in that this would be a bad season yeah. for the Blackhawks. It was basically by design. So um, I'm going to go with another team in a very similar situation, the San Jose Sharks. Mm-hmm. Uh, they got off to that brutal start. Uh, they have been better of late, uh, they cannot be the worst team in NHL history, which part of me thought would be at least an interesting storyline, but I also don't want to put that on Sharks fans because they've had some terrible teams in the past. This is a team that I think definitely needs the number one pick overall. I think the World Juniors will be fun for Sharks fans because you got Will Smith, you got Philip Beestead, Casper Haltunin. Um, you know, there's some talent to look for towards the future, but as of right now, San Jose, they're just. They're not a threat to me in any way. No. Their goal differential right now is minus 58. That's even worse than the Blackhawks by a significant <laughs> amount. The Blackhawks is only minus 39. So uh, San Jose, there's definitely some holes to fill by GM Mike Greer in the summer. Uh, give me another terrible team in your power rankings. Well, the Seattle Kraken... You look at the standings, and they're not like a bottom three or even a bottom five team, I don't believe, right now. Right. But they are trending that way for sure. Um, And for a team that was, you know, not only made the playoffs, but knocked out the defending Stanley Cup champs last year in the Colorado Avalanche, Mm -hmm. it is very surprising to see Seattle struggle as much as they have. Mm -hmm. Obviously, goal scoring has been at the forefront of their problems. Uh, you look right now, their leading scorer is Oliver Borkstrand with 10 goals, 26 points. I thought we'd see a second year from Matty Beneers that was going to just eclipse what he did as a rookie, yeah. as a Calder uh, Trophy uh, winner. Uh, instead, we're really getting kind of a sophomore slumpish kind of year from Matty Beneers. So it's unfortunate. Um, but at the same time, this is kind of what I kind of expected out of Seattle. Mm. Uh, I didn't expect them to be as good as they were last year. This right. is sort of 
I this think they've the regressed real. to where they are. Yeah, last year was the aberration. I'll finish up real quickly, kind of on a similar uh, bent. I'm going to go with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Mm. Uh, you know, they're not dead last, but it just feels like this team's going nowhere. And uh, I expect some of the other teams maybe to gain some ground on them with games played, things like that. I just think the Blue Jackets uh, this season is a write-off. Uh, just It started off terribly with the Mike Babcock <laughs> hire, and it just went from there. So hopefully sunnier skies in Central Ohio in the future. Oh, Ryan, you know what time it is, right? It's rapid-fire time. All right, our favorite time of the week, Connor. Mm-hmm. Producer Connor, hit us up with some questions. All right, I'm starting to get lazy. I'm going to ask this question every time a coach gets fired. Yeah. Who's next? Ooh. That's, it's really tough looking at the standings because at this point, not that most coaches deserve to be fired from the <laughs> ones that we've seen already because there have been some tough situations, but I'm kind of racking my brain, and I don't think we're going to see another coaching change until the end of the season at this point. Like if, if, if a team misses the playoffs that should be in the playoffs, I could see that happening. Right. I hazard to say Rod Brindamore. Uh, I don't think spicy. so. Yeah, I don't think so. My other spicy one is, that, is it Pascal Vincent in Columbus? He wasn't their first guy to begin with, and things aren't going well. But I, I hope they give him more lead time than that. I don't know if this one's going to happen. Mike Sullivan? I was wondering about that, too, but they kind of love him there, so oh, it's I know. tough. They kind of love him, but they also kind of love Marc-Andre Fleury, and he's gone. <laughs> right. Um, but, yeah, the way that Pittsburgh's going, mm. uh, new GM, I get it. Mike Sullivan means so much to that team. Yeah. At the same time, Connor asked me the question. That's true. <laughs> and they love Dan Bilesman, too. There you go. So. There you go. Four teams, or five if you count Columbus and Babcock, have fired coaches so far this season. Why are the number of firings so high this year? We alluded to this earlier in the show, is because uh, you can't fire 23 players, <laughs> especially in the salary cap era. And I think a big part of it is the salary cap, where making trades isn't as easy as it once was, because for the majority of teams, it's got to be money in, money out right now. So if you find yourself in a spot where things aren't going well and you can't pull off a blockbuster, you know, St. Louis would be a perfect example of this, you mm-hmm. know, uh, especially with no trade clauses as well, going back to the summer with Tory Krug. If you're the GM, what other options do you have for a reset? And that's why I think we've seen some pretty good coaches get the axe, unfortunately, whether it's Woodcroft or Everson, um, you know, guys where you say, like, man, like, they had pretty good records coming into the season, uh, but what are you going to do? Yeah. The, the reason why, the coaching bump is real. You know, Edmonton fires their coach. It doesn't matter who you bring in. Mm-hmm. It just sends like a bit of a jolt. That's why I thought that you know, Ottawa waited way too long. Mm. Uh, I thought you know, as good of a job as DJ Smith had been doing, um, you take him out of the position a month ago, and maybe that sends a spark. Uh, they go on a run? Of, yeah, um, too late now. Yeah. But we saw the coaching bump in St. Louis. We saw it in Minnesota. Obviously, we saw it in Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a real thing. Yeah. A name that just came to me for the first question, Hackstall in Seattle. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's good. One. At what point of the season should fans consider their playoff hopes dead? Mm. Well, it's funny because, like, initially you, know, you always think of the American Thanksgiving uh, metric, mm-hmm. but I'm going to go a bit later. I don't know what the exact date was, but uh, whenever the St. Louis Blues were in last 
the year that they won the Stanley Cup. It was Gen 1 or something. It was. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I think you're right. It was around that time. So let's, let's call it like January 7th then. If your team is still you know, dead in the water by mid-January, I think it's safe to say that whether it's mathematical or just spiritually, <laughs> maybe you can say this is not our year. Yeah, I guess it depends on the division. You look at Edmonton, they're on a bit of a run right now, and they just mm. cannot get traction. So sometimes you're just going, you know what, you waited too late. Uh, for Ottawa, I think it's way too late. Um, but then for, you know, like I said, like the Central Division is so tightly packed right now. Right. Um, I'm not really w- willing to, like, write off any of those teams right now. So it depends. Yeah. Um, I don't know if there's a drop-dead date, to be honest. If you're a fan, like on the picture behind you, it's the second the season started. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> there were a few e-bugs required this weekend due to salary cap constraints. Should teams be allowed to carry three goalies on their roster, with the third goalie being in the AHL, but free for salary cap purposes, so we don't end up with another David Ayers mm. situation? I, I like this idea. Especially since so many NHL teams nowadays have their AHL teams nearby. You know, like sometimes it's even in the same city. You know, you look at Toronto, San Jose, Winnipeg. Uh, The fact that they did that sort of Pacific division in the AHL where the California teams are nearby. You know, LA's got Ontario, and I'm in San Diego. Even like Seattle and Coachella Valley, it's, it's not close, but it's not far either, right? You know, it's a pretty easy plane ride. Um, I, I like that. It, it feels like one of those things where it's like you can't take advantage of it necessarily. Like if you need three good goalies, then clearly something bad has happened otherwise on your roster. So I don't think teams can really take advantage of it. Although I'm sure somebody will figure out a way. Yeah, I'm trying to square away like what the downside of this idea is, Connor, mm-hmm. and I don't see one. Uh, the only downside I see is having a David Ayers, a guy who normally drives a Zamboni, is all of a sudden on the bench as your backup goalie. You don't see any other team do this. Like, the Major League Baseball is not like, hey, we need a pitcher. <laughs> Who's the guy selling popcorn? Bring him in. Right. Because we need a guy now. So, yeah, yeah um, you want to take the NHL uh, into that higher echelon of big four sports. You know, stop having e-bugs. Yeah. All right, well, that's my final rapid-fire question, gentlemen. All right. Well, it looks like that's all the time we have, Ryan. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was the Hockey News pregame show. I want to thank BetMGM, as always, as well as NorthlandHockey.com. You know, see us next time at the rink. Yeah.